Hey everybody, and welcome back to Two Harry Guys Versus. This is Mark Oker, and with me as always is Mr. John Panucci. Say hi, John. Hello, everybody, and thank you for checking in on your Harry Guys this afternoon, this evening, or this morning, whenever you're choosing to listen. You know, we uh, we weren't around last week. I just think we should kind of mention the fact that we even, did skip a week. Even two hairy guys needed a little bit of time coming into the new year to uh, to mentally kind of vanquish the old. Well, and, and, yeah, and to be fair, it was one of the strangest weeks in American oh, history. And we're just going to leave it at that. It was one of know, the strangest 20, weeks in American 2021 history. 2021 was a good five days. <laughs> this is like day 300 and something of March 2020. I actually tried to calculate what the date number would be, and I just gave up after a little while. <laughs> yeah, it's like 2020, I'm the it's most like, messed up year ever. 2021, hold my beer. There, exactly. My uh, my wife sent me a meme of uh, uh, the shot of the Joker with Joaquin Phoenix, where he's <laughs> dancing down the stairs, and it says uh-huh. 2020, showing the new guy the ropes, and it's Pennywise uh, standing next to him. <laughs> oh, dear heavens. <laughs> Gosh, ain't that the truth? So, welcome to 2021. Welcome to 2020. <laughs> this is our our second episode of of the second episode of the second season. Yes, it is. Woohoo! Unbelievable. And we are actually continuing on. We are. We weren't planning one. on, but it just kind of escalated the point where we decided we're going to have to visit more than just books. Well, yeah, it was either continue on from that point or make that into a, a four hour exactly. charity streaming episode or something. so. I, so I think what's going to happen is we're going to start, we'll, we'll, we're going to visit books multiple times, Yeah, but we're going to start pigeonholing specific things. Yeah. So for today, let's just bring that broad range down to just nonfiction, just general nonfiction. There today. you go. And we can, I'm sure we could get a lot more detail and we will get oh, a lot more detail. We that. will. But general nonfiction, actually, you know, this is this is actually perfect timing for a few reasons here. So I can kick this one off. Please do, sir. I've been going through my bookcases lately. And one of the ones, uh, going back for me, I started with nonfiction actually, actually pretty young, partly because I was the type of nerdy kid that actually would sit down and read the encyclopedia. It's a good thing that I was a big I was, kid because otherwise make, I would have gotten my butt kicked on a daily basis. I was going to make a comment, but just <laughs> it doesn't surprise me at this point. No, right? So. Yeah. You heard of Encyclopedia Brown? It's Encyclopedia, Encyclopedia Mark. Mark. <laughs> I had the Funkin' Wagnalls uh, Encyclopedia. It was one of the ones that, seriously, you, you got it at the grocery store. It's oh, I that remember were, that. That's what yeah. ours were. Yeah, and it was actually, and believe it, and this is for anybody in the upper mid, well, actually, I, I think they're. They're somewhat national. They're at least Midwest. Uh, it was actually Kohl's grocery stores that had them. Shut people, up. people are going Kohl's grocery stores. Yes, there were Kohl's grocery stores. Yeah. And actually yeah. the Kohl's department stores were attached to the Kohl's grocery stores. Yeah. Oh, That's I cannot right, believe. We're both hairy and middle-aged. And middle-aged. I cannot believe <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah. But I remember that now walking, you know, checking out. At the, yeah, and at you could the get store, like, and, and there was and the you stacks. could get the yeah, and they they yeah. release a new one every few weeks type of a thing. You know, back when Google didn't exist and you had to <laughs> research. There's no Google, no Wikipedia. Stuff. We actually had to read books back then. Unbelievable. So, uh, so you, you had know, to, so your mom decided she needed to wean you off of encyclopedias. <laughs> well, having a mother who's a teacher, kind of you know, you're kind of stuck. Uh, there was a there's a book. It's it's the history of America. And I'll, I've got it sitting behind me in a bookshelf and I'm too lazy to go grab it. Uh, but I'll take, I, I want to say maybe it was a national geographic publication. I'll put it, you know, I'll, I'll, if I can find links to any of these old ones, if I can find links, I'll put them out. Uh, but the history of America, I, and I, I guess I've got it here and I read it so much I, that like, if you look at it today, the pages are just falling out. Oh, cool. And so that, that actually got me into, I, I, I can't think of how, how old I was when I got there, but it would have been grade school. Um, but it was, it was, a it was a, a very brutal history book of, of America. And, uh, a lot of the, the very famous photos, both disturbing and non-disturbing that you can think of through American history were in there. And it made a heck of an impact on a kid, man. I'll tell you, I mean, it was designed sure. for kids. Uh, but that really got my interest in, in history going. 
there. So, I mean, we having a mother who was a teacher, I was, I was screwed. I just, I just want to, th- I just want to throw in real quick. And I know this is a nonfiction book, but just mentioning that impact that it had on you. Um, there's a nonfiction book called the boy in the striped pajamas. I'm oh, sorry. There's a fiction book. Fiction book. Yes. Boy in the striped pajamas. And uh, for those which, who do, yeah, which was a movie as well. Yeah. Which if, if you don't know what it's it about, it's just it, it, think world war two and right, Martin Scorsese math. directs it. Um, but, the impact that had on my son reading that yeah. and I'm a history buff. So, you know, I watched right. world war two documentaries and stuff. And, uh, and so to see the impact that had on him and the story was actually so powerful. My wife was telling me the story. I, I refuse to read the book because I know what will happen if I read the book. Yes. Nobody needs me in that state. Right. Um, <laughs> but, but it's I have seen the movie. So for, for, for something to impact you at that age, um, especially when it's something that is so distantly unrelated to who, what, and when you are to your own experience. Right. Yeah. Right. When you're reading it. Right. And that, and that's, that's also to me why it, it becomes important to step outside your comfort zone when you read. And, and this is something I'm working on on, on reading things from authors that are, um, not only, you know, not male not white but also not american and one of the ones i'm enjoying i'll get to this when we do the fiction episode okay uh is a sci-fi trilogy by an by a chinese a a contemporary chinese author Ooh, and it's fascinating reading modern good science fiction um but entirely written from a chinese perspective sure you know not a chinese american an actual chinese you know uh, an actual chinese citizen so i would love that yeah yeah it becomes you know but that was but you're right that was really that was kind of the start of, uh, you know, me looking at history more critically. It also ended up with me being very, being very ticked off at my history classes because we never touched on a lot of the stuff that was in that book. Right. But you segued nicely. Um, and then that led, I will say I, one of the other nonfiction books that I read young and I really shouldn't have read it this young. My parents allowed me to do it. Um, okay. I was, I was worried about it was the book that I stumbled upon. Okay, we're good. Then. Uh, it was Rise and Fall of the Third Reich. Oh my word! So, which is, I mean, of course, if if it's a classic of anybody who's a who's a history buff, anybody who's a World War II, um, you know, historian type I, has read this. I mean, it, it's a classic work, and it, it it details the rise of of Hitler and and really gives you the the background of how that came to be. But I mean, it's a huge book too. I mean, it it is right. not small. It is not simple. And I read, but I read that as probably a preteen. I would oh, say, wow, yeah, because by the time I hit high school, I had read it, <laughs> um, and it, it was I, I used it as a source material for some papers in high school, um, but I'd read it already. So I probably read that as a preteen, and especially when they get into some of the the gruesome details of what was happening. Of course, once they took power. Um, probably not age appropriate, <laughs> right? But on the other hand, again, indelible, you know, mark, uh, and uh, my psyche in terms of, of history and, and, and all that. So yeah, for me, I guess, yeah, for me growing up, the, the, the nonfiction tended towards history as a kid. Sure. Uh, it, it was a lot of history books and that was, it was partially courtesy of, of my parents and especially my mother, the teacher. Uh, she wasn't a history teacher. She was an English teacher, but yeah, even still. And, and so that, that's kind of where I, I cut my teeth on the nonfiction side. I'm going to get to another series that was unbelievably beloved by me as a kid and as an adult, but I'll get okay. to that a little later in the episode. So okay. how about you? Where did you start with nonfiction? You know, nonfiction didn't start for me till I was actually in college, uh, outside of, you know, stuff that we had to read for school, which. Or church. I, I very rarely did either of those. <laughs> um, so for me, it was, like I said, I wasn't an avid reader really until I got into college. And so, you know, some of my first, uh, actually, I remember the very first book that I read that was nonfiction. <sighs> Jim Baker's I'm Sorry. <laughs> Is this the, the After the Scandal book? This was, yeah, this was his uh Basically, his side of the story his, of what happened and him his apologizing his, uh, and honestly, having been raised in that entire 
kind of world at the time. And we discussed it that, you know, I used to go down there for trips on more than one basis on more than one time, at least. But, uh, this, it wasn't Tammy Faye's makeup tips. Oh my word. Anybody who's middle-aged is laughing their head off. Anybody who's younger is going, what the heck? Just, just Google it. I don't, may she rest in peace, but I have no idea how that woman opened her upper eyelids. There's just <laughs> WD-40. Just, <laughs> she had to have like, she could have been entered in like, you know, sideshow things. Watch the strongest eyelids in the world. And she's lifting 50 pound weights. Oh yeah. I mean, she made, she made Krusty the clown look, you know? Oh my word. But yeah. Same makeup. <laughs> so. I, I was really interested in reading the book to explore his perspective of it. Uh, and this was, a, this was a few years after everything had gone down. He was already out of prison at this point. Um, and the book really impacted me um, just to see. It's probably one of the first times where I made the conscious decision to look at something from the writer's perspective that I didn't agree on. So I'd been very angry when everything happened, you know, even though I was young with, uh, with the entire PTL debacle and the, the whole scandal there. And so to actually read something from somebody else's perspective kind of really helped me mentally to approach life that way, I guess, is you can't, you can't always know what a person's true motives are. Uh, unless you see them out over time, you can look at it from multiple perspectives. And so at the time I actually, uh, I, I had no problem with Jim Baker at that point at all. I wasn't going to watch anything he did or read anything else from him at the time, but, uh, but now he's back to his good old self, uh, on TV getting people to buy stuff like survival buckets, which is he really, is he really back? Oh yeah. He's remarried. Oh uh, he's back on TV. He's got, Oh, that's a horrifying What thing. I would, and my dad's probably listening to this, so I'm going to get a call, but what I would call a <laughs> cult following. Um, yeah. Oh, so that was, lovely, that was the lovely, first lovely. book that, um, that was nonfiction that I actually finished and where it, it had an impact on me. Okay. Um, now, okay. So I know there's always books that kind of, we reference, uh, I do it a lot with movies where I'll quote something or, you know, the number 42 will come up in conversation as the answer. That was there. Adam's right. Yeah. Um, we are but, so going to cover that in the fiction episode. Oh yes. Uh, but is there a nonfiction book that really helped to kind of mold and structure you in some way, whether it's in a, in a specific area. So, you know, if it's, astroscience or if it's psychology or if it, but something that actually kind of took your mindset and, and made you do that little you know dog turn the side of the head huh type <laughs> type of situation i there's there's obviously there's there's the classics of philosophy but i'm you know that's a that's more of a scholarly thing right in there um you know the there there have been a couple different ones uh and a couple different series because i did i did move away from nonfiction for a very long time for the most part uh i i read like some some business books and things like that uh but i moved i'm after college i really i i, I got so sick of <laughs> the having been a having been a constitutional law major all I read were law books and, right. and I, and I got so tired of it. I, I really, I moved into fiction very hard. Um, but when I got back into nonfiction, um, and, and this is one of the reasons I wanted to do this episode coming off now. Um, because if you go back, uh, well, yeah, so <laughs> it happened on January 7th, I believe it was of, of last year. And I think the world found out on January 10th. Um, but this ties into my music. And okay. I think I told you, this is why I was going to talk about. Yeah. And, um, a, so many of us were shocked in, 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 you know, the, in the rock world, uh, Neil Peart died. Yep. Uh, the drummer from rush for, for those of you who don't listen to rush and, uh, it, you know, very true to the way that he lived. Uh, it, it was a, it was, he'd kept his illness. He'd kept his brain cancer very private. And so it was a, um, it was a total shock for, I think for just about everybody. Right. I mean, it's, 
Uh, his family and friends knew, you know, obviously he was a very private person and, and kept the secret for him. Um, so it, it, it hit and it was, it was, it was pretty devastating for, um, certainly for me. And I think for, I, you know, for a lot of people across social media, you saw this, um, you know, but so many people knew Neil as a drummer. Right. And, and this, and for those who knew him as a writer, I'd say, uh, you know, most Rush fans would know that Neil wrote the lyrics yep. for, for Rush. But what even some, some more casual Rush fans, I think the general world probably didn't know is he was an author and he was a nonfiction author. And, um, some of his, all of his books, um, have had a, just a massive impact on me. And I actually, I, I did not start with, with his first couple. Um, I'd started, I think with Roadshow, uh, which was a, because I, again, being a roadie and all that, it was Roadshow was basically his telling of his version of a tour. Oh, cool. Right. And, um, but it wasn't, it, it was, it was geeky for if you're a, if you're, you know, a roadie or a musician or a, or a fan, but the important thing of the book was, so, so Neil's, Neil was a very private guy and he didn't like to travel by private plane. He did, you know, he had his own tour bus and what would happen at the end of every rush show is he would run off stage off his drum riser and he would run immediately uh, onto his bus. He had one bus that was just him. And it was actually his, one of his best friends was Russia's security director. And he'd run right onto the bus and the bus would pull out and he'd, and he'd head down the road and on the bus, he'd shower, he'd sit down, he'd have a, he'd have a scotch. Sure. He was, a, he was a McAllen scotch fan and they would, and you know, and he'd relax him and Michael would relax and they'd drive through the night. And then in the morning, the bus would pull over and it, it towed a trailer and in the trailer where were their motorcycles. Okay. So Neil was a, a, a huge motorcyclist. I'll get to that in a second. And they would get out and get on their motorcycles and they would spend the day riding towards the next venue really so yes and and that was you know neil didn't want to do the play he, he didn't do press and after and uh i'll get to that in a second after what happened to him in the 90s he didn't do press he was always private and then the 90s made him almost a hermit sure so he didn't do it it was the agreement with the band he did no press interviews um basically at all and so and, and he hated touring so he, his, his comfort in it was being able to take the time to get out into the back roads of America and the back roads of Europe and, and take these trips. And he, he, he looked at the tours as an excuse for him to get out and motorcycle around the world. Sure. Is what he did. So wow. it, yeah, for me, it was kind of a, it was kind of a, a lesson on learning to appreciate life a little bit differently. Yeah. Um, at the end of the nineties, for those of you who don't know the story, um, right after their, their test for echo tour, uh, was it 97, 98, um, within the course of a year, uh, Neil lost his, his daughter, in a single car crash. She oh, went off the road. Right. Yeah. And his, and his daughter died. I forgot about And that. then less than a year later, his wife died, uh, basically of grief, um, cancer, but she just gave up. And so within the course of a year, he lost, he lost his whole family, you know, very, it was that, that was it. And he told the band, he goes, I'm done. He had no desire to play. He, he sold pretty much everything he owned. <laughs> sure. Um, you know, threw the manager, the keys to his house and said, here, you know, sell it, got on his motorcycle and he rode and, and he rode up all the way through the ice roads. If you've ever watched ice road truckers. Yeah. He rode all the way up through the ice roads of Alaska. Uh, from his home around in, in the Toronto area at the time, and then rode down through Canada, through the United States, down through Mexico into Central America. Uh, over over the course of basically, he did what fifty five thousand miles, I think it was, oh. in the course of that year, and and in the cor- and and he documented the trip. Oh, he really? actually he actually journaled the whole trip, and he released it as a book called Ghost Rider. Okay, and um. It's something I would recommend for anybody who's dealing with grief, uh, because it's, it's a very, it's a painful look, but a very heartfelt look at, at, you know, kind of what it means to grieve and to heal. Um, and of course, in, in, in the course of this, he, he rediscovered his love of music and he met the woman who was going to, you know, become his, his wife, you know, who he would, when he would remarry. Sure. Um, and all, and all that happened in the course of the year and it's all documented in the book. 
Um, and that's why he didn't do press. He never wanted questions about what had happened to him. Right. Um, so, but he documented that in ghost rider. And so I read roadshow. Um, and then, you know, which was that appreciation. Then I went, do, went, I went back and did ghost rider, um, which just rips your heart out. Um, and then he did n- a n- number of other ones, uh, over the years. Um, there's one, uh, that he did called traveling music, which, uh, is, is a big one for me. Cause I, when I do drive even around town or if I'm going anywhere longer than just driving to target, okay. Even if I'm driving to target sometimes, <laughs> um, I always want a soundtrack playing. Sure. Right. I always want my soundtrack. And, and so he did a trip, uh, from like LA into like somewhere in New Mexico. I think it was, uh, in, in his car and basically documented the music he listened to along the way and what he, what, and kind of what the oh. music had meant to him. <laughs> um, Come so, on. so a lot of that stuff spoke, you know, to me that spoke really, that, that spoke deeply. Um, and all the more so after what I went through in 2016. Yeah. Um, and, you know, in my own little mental, my own little, my own huge mental break here in the years after that. Yeah. Um, you know, I've been fortunate bo- enough to know him for that entire time. Yeah. Lucky you. So, the, you know, those, those, those books have had a huge impact sure. both, both pre and post. Um, it's a different, I, I will say going back and reading the book on grief and things like that is a different take now, uh, having, you know, experienced sure. some of that, you know, for myself. Um, but Neil's writings were, uh, you know, for me, just absolutely huge as an adult. How about you? Uh, just really quick on the grief thing, uh, but it's going to help me transition into my next book. Um, but when you were just talking and you were talking about the, the grief and, and how to, you know, how he dealt with that, how Neil dealt with it and kind of his catharsis or whatever you want to call yeah, it. That's a perfect word for it. Um, another author that did a similar thing, uh, C.S. Lewis. I was wondering if you were going to go there. That is another, and that, um, that's a book that has had a huge, huge, yeah, huge impact on me. But yeah, uh, my my more recent life. If if you haven't read a Grief Observed, first a little background on C.S. Lewis. One, if you don't know who C.S. Lewis is, you probably don't have the internet, so you're probably not listening to this right now. But C.S. Lewis uh, was part of a group of intellectuals uh, in the UK. Yeah, they were college professors. He was good, good friends. Uh, also a member of this group was J.R. Tolkien, J.R. Tolkien, uh, author of the Lord of the Rings series. Um, and C.S. Lewis was a self-declared bachelor. And now usually when you hear that term, you think of like, you know, somebody that's like a stud and they were no middle-aged balding man, <laughs> kind of short, little on the pudgy side. He actually... Nerd. He, yeah, he, he probably, if you would have shaved Gimli from Lord of the Rings, you would have had C.S. Lewis, the author of Chronicles of Narnia. But as a declared bachelor, uh, he never had interest in, in finding a wife and finding uh, affection in that way until he met somebody. And uh, this individual had children already and are actually, uh, they were the catharsis for uh, the Chronicles of Narnia. He started writing them for her kids. Uh, and she, they weren't together long and she was diagnosed with cancer and she passed away. And a grief observed is literally just his journaling process. And now you're talking about a man who one was never going to be tied down, who, you know, for quote, for lack of a better term, tied himself down. A man who is one of the leading theological minds in his era within the Christian religion. And you read through the book and you, read his doubts to God. You read his fears about life, all these things that you think there's no way C.S. Lewis knows what it's like to go through these things, first of all. But then to to see somebody with such an incredible mind go through the same experiences that you imagine yourself going through or have gone through in your own life was really powerful for me. Um, Highly yeah, recommended. He was, highly he was, recommended. Yeah. And, and just because the, I mean, this book shows up, uh, on my list and we might as well get this one off the, <laughs> off the agenda here in, in one fell swoop. Um, you know, for me, uh, I came across that one after, after the, the events of 2016. Um, I think and, I told you about it. <laughs> yeah. I, I actually, I think you may have. Yeah. Um, 
the book came out in 61. I had to double check the dates and it, it, it wasn't long before Lewis's death. No, uh, he didn't, he didn't last real long after her, um, because he died in 63. Uh, and you know, for me, it's, it, it sounds weird. And I know that the book, I, I know there's people who dislike the book because it, he ends up very angry with yeah. the almighty and he, and I don't know that he ever resolves his doubts. Right. Um, I mean, it, it shook him. It, it's, it's a raw account of him being absolutely oh, brutally shaken and angry to brutally his core. honest. Um, just, I mean, livid at the universe yeah. in there. Uh, I, and it's, um, but it, it, it really is it for me, it was, it was a hugely important read because not that it had answers, but it, it, it's one of those books that teaches you, Hey, it's okay to feel this way. Yeah. No, it's, it's okay. It's normal. It's, it's, I remember allowed, you having several occasions just sitting down yeah. and talking about that very thing is you're allowed to do. Yeah. You're, you're yeah. allowed to do this Yeah, and you're, and you're allowed to, to not necessarily have to resolve everything. Um, so yeah, that was, uh, yeah. I, I mean, he's written other nonfiction as well and some other, but that was, yeah, that was hugely, hugely influential. Yeah. Um, Sorry, the music nerd in me just came out when you said resolve. Um, <laughs> and in the music world, the song resolves. It basically goes back to whatever the starting chord was, which is usually the key of the song, whatever the root is. It's what leaves you with a nice, warm, fuzzy feeling. Yeah, that's where you feel the song has completed itself. But when you don't resolve a song, it hangs there and you feel like, ah, what's going to happen next? I do like the some of the, I do like and moving what? On. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think there's a barbarian at my door. Give me one second. <laughs> um, you totally racked my brain, my train of thought right there. What were we just talking about? Your, your, your Thomas, your Thomas, the tank engine is off the track. Oh my word. He derailed <laughs> resolving in music. Oh, resolving in music. Thank you. When something doesn't resolve in music, it, it hangs there and there's a tension to it. And, I love the fact that in books like this, uh, the grief observed, there is no resolution there because conflict doesn't always resolve itself. And I just look at the state the world is in right now. It's just a constant cycle of the same old BS, you know, day after day. Truth. Uh, so being able to read something like that, but the book that most impacted me, I actually read a little later in my life. I was probably in my late twenties. Uh, but I have it right here. It's a book called Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. And this book was written, well, first of all, Viktor Frankl, a world-renowned psychologist, a lot based off of his experience that he outlines in this book. Um, and he is, existential thought didn't exist before Frankl, but his insight, because of what he wrote, has really kind of garnered him the title of the father of existentialism. And if you don't know what existentialism is, the basic definition is a philosophical theory or approach, which emphasizes the existence of the individual person as a free and responsible agent, determining their own development through acts and will. So grief, uh, man's search for meaning. Victor Frankl was uh, Jewish. And he was Jewish during World War II, and he was taken into internment camps. And as a psychologist, because I believe he was already studied psychology, that started studying psychology at the time, he noticed that people were coming into the camp, and regardless of health, regardless of age, some seemed to outlive others, and others just seemed to wither away. And he started to realize that the people that were living longer had hope for something. And, and he actually documents where people that had hope and that were surviving and were doing okay for living in an internment camp. Once they found out news that a loved one that was their hope for survival had been killed somewhere else, their health immediately diminished. Uh, they, they immediately, that hope was gone. Their life was meaningless. And so he talks about, you know, what it took 
for him and what he saw to get through that entire process of, okay, so I have to have a purpose. I have, there's something out there for me. If I get through this, hope is what I have to hold on to that. My meaning is what I can do through this process. Uh, and so, and that's what, I mean, he goes into some brutal detail uh, about stuff that he saw and experienced in the internment camps. It's, uh, if you're squeamish, don't read it. But I highly recommend, one, if you're a World War II buff, read this book. It's an incredible perspective on what actually went on in the internment camps. Uh, but if you're a human who likes to understand how human minds work and teach you kind of how to focus your own mind, this is an incredible book. Well, you know, and and, and reading history and studying history, I think my, you know, what we're currently going through uh, in modern times it, it is the perfect example. You have to study history. There, there's that saying, right? Those who fail to study history are doomed to repeat it. Right. Uh, and we, 20, you know, we like to think. 20. Right. Yeah. We, we, you know, we like to think that, you know, everything that happens in our, in our existence is unique and this has never happened before in the history of mankind. Yeah. It, it probably has. Yep. Uh, and it's probably documented somewhere in history. So that's why studying that is, I guess, to me, so important. Um, well, one of the other, sorry, oh, sorry there, no, continue. There's, there's that old saying, you know, history is written by the winners. True. And it's not until recently where some of that history is now starting to, whether for the better or for the detriment, is starting to change. Where right. you know, people are saying, okay, wait a minute. Columbus never landed in America? What? Well, right. Yeah. You know, that kind of stuff. And I mean, I believe it is way deeper than just not even landing right. in America. But you're, but you're right. I mean, when things, you know, and that's a perfect example of why it's important to to broaden those horizons and, and read things from, you know, from marginalized peoples and things, you know, people that don't share your same experience. Um, and, and actually, you know, world war two in, in itself, just, you know, just because we're, you know, we're, we're, we're on the topic world war two itself is a perfect example of, you know, who, who could have predicted there would have been a second world war where anybody who had <laughs> studied what was right. Yeah, you know what 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 was happening, and and studying that lead up and and when you when you read it when you read history as a whole. Sorry, having to put my thoughts together on the no fly worries. here. You know, World I was War actually I watching World... you organize them with your hand. You could actually like <laughs> I could, yeah, I could you could see, see the Rube Goldberg the machine of my around. mind. It was it was almost like, like Sherlock one of those puzzles. in the Mind Palace. No, not that one. No, I got to get okay. Here we go. <laughs> yeah, when you look at World War One and World War Two as a system, uh, it, it's almost like it wasn't two separate conflicts. No, you know, it, it was one conflict, it was one conflict with, but it just, with a, with, with almost a cold war in between. Yeah. It, there was basically a power you, you, shift happening yeah. under the surface that people weren't paying attention to. And best way I could describe it would be way a tornado works. You've got the hot rising and the cold fall at the same time. You're just going to stir all that crap back up. And that's exactly yeah, I mean, what the, Hitler did. The, yeah, exactly. the The beginning of World War II was almost guaranteed at the end of World War One. Perfect example of why it's so important to to study history. Yeah. And since we've gone down the religious path, I mean, I, you know, let's face there's there's a lot of different nonfiction. I've got some other ones that, that I can talk about here, but we've kind of done the the historical side, um, more towards the religious slash spiritual side of the house. Sure. Um, there's another one that's that that's had a large impact in the last decade for me. And I think you may, you may have read this one. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm guessing that at least a couple of people probably listen to this, uh, the crowd, the critic and the muse. Oh yeah. Gunger. Yep. Right. I haven't read it, um, but I've, I've got the cliff okay. notes. <laughs> uh, I, first off, I would advise you read it of all people. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to write it down right now. Um, yeah. And, and it's a you people listening. Don't realize I have three lists going at all times. When we record these things, I have my notes that I wrote notes. I'm writing as we go and notations of things that I need to do. Yeah. Ooh, my to do list. The, yeah, I, I'm kind of do, I've got the same thing with my cell phone down below. Um, but the crowd to critic and the muse is, is Gunger's discussion of, of 
spirit of of being a creator and being spiritual at the same time where you're you're dealing with spiritual burnout and not just not just religion but where um your where your entire soul is and i think right now especially in the midst of the pandemic um it, it's a discussion of how to be creative when your whole soul's just burnt out yeah you know when um you know, when, when all of you is just burnt out, you've got nothing and you've, and you got nothing left in the tank. Well, and, and as a, as a pastor of 18 plus years, uh, I know exactly what you're talking about. There are just those periods yeah. where you got nothing left. Yeah. And well, and, and I would, I would say right now in the midst of, of, of COVID and everything else, there are a lot of people who are. There's that old like fake it till you make it yep. thing. Um, unfortunately, I think lately we've got a lot of people who are it's it's fake it until they drop. Right, right. Um, you've you've got a lot of people who are they're smiling and they're grinning and all this, and inside they're just screaming. You know exactly um, that, what you're talking about, and that's where and that's really where that Gunger book is aimed at. It's the it, it's it's aimed at at people who want to be creative, but for whatever reason, whether it's religion, whether you, whether you're religious or not, it's just, you are just, you're spiritually burnt. Yeah. Well, and I actually, and, I, I had a, there's a couple podcasts I listened to one of them. I can't think of the name right now, but if I think of it, I'll tell you for the show notes. Uh, but the guy who runs the podcast is not a Christian, but he will often talk to, you know, believers. And he had a conversation with a couple people in the Christian music industry that, if you like the Christian music industry, it would seriously change every perspective and every view you had on the Christian music industry. Just, yeah, I get, that. I'm actually, I'm going to look that one up. I've got, you know, like five books on the queue right now, but I'm going to look at yeah, each point, you know, you know, you need, you need more of that. Look, yeah. <laughs> I actually have one sitting yeah. here that I'm look, really looking forward to, um, you know, since everything we're dealing with right now seems to be with mental health. Uh, right. there's a, there's a, a YouTuber, uh, podcaster called Mike McCargue. I only found okay. out about him recently because uh, of good mythical morning, my favorite YouTube show. And, uh, they had him on and the guy is brilliant. I would read you the notes about him in his book, but I mm -hmm. can't because evidently the one that I bought online is a pre-release to the actual <laughs> version that was out there, but it's a book called you're a miracle and a pain in the ass. And it's uh, <laughs> embracing the emotions, habits, and mysteries that make you, you, and it, and it deals with mental health and that kind of stuff. I just figured that's the kind of type of thing that you'd say to your kids, right? <laughs> oh my <laughs> word. I want to move on away from the serious side of nonfiction just for a minute. Yeah. And talk about books that are nonfiction but they entertain us in a different way. And oh, this is this is perfect. For me, I love reliving my own nostalgia through the eyes of other people. And so you can mock me all you want. And I usually and you do. usually do. Not just on the radio, not just on the podcast. This is anything to do with just, Oingo just, Boingo. I'm gonna hang just, up this session. No, no, no. I was raised on Columbo with Peter Falk. <laughs> and to this day, I still love the show. My, my, my dad and I will play games where we've seen all the episodes so many times. I'll call him and I'll give him you know little tidbits, little snippets of the show. And he's got to try to guess which episode it is. I escalated it to the point last week where my wife was listening to it or was watching it in the background. And I was working on stuff and I said, you know what? I'm not even going to turn around and look at the screen. I'm going to guess it based on the dialogue. And I did. <laughs> That's how nerdy I am. But before Peter Falk died, he wrote uh, a kind of a memoir biography, basically just notes about his life. And it was called, you have me stories. I have <laughs> I stories. E Y E Peter Falk had one eye. And, but he just talks about his career and he does do a lot about Columbo because that's what he was, you know, most prominently known mm -hmm. for. And, but, sure. but finding out that 
you know, uh, people say the trench coat, uh, for the longest time had been at, uh, had been in a museum and he's like, no, I'm pretty sure it's right at home in my closet. You know how his demeanor was formed. And because mm-hmm. if you actually watch the very first Columbo episode, the character is very different than when the series started. The first one was done kind of as a TV movie. Mm-hmm. And then when the series picked up, he was more disheveled and he was more of that, uh, playing the oaf, but really a genius underneath part. Uh, the fact the, the cigar that was all just part of the character. He hates cigars. He was a cigarette smoker for years. Uh, the fact that he met his wife on the set of Columbo and they married and were together until, you know, his passing. I love that kind of stuff. And so that's, I mean, if you ever watched Columbo, get that book, mm-hmm. but there is a movie. I guarantee every single one of our listeners has seen. And if you've seen this and you love it, one, we can still be friends and you can continue to listen to the podcast Two, you need to look up the book as you wish inconceivable tales by Carrie Elwes, otherwise known as Wesley, otherwise known as the dread pirate Roberts. It's his account of the entire making of a princess bride. And I kid you not a princess bride. I don't know why is one of those magical movies that just transcends time. You'll, you laugh and you chuckle when they're in the room with the kid and the grandpa played by Peter Falk. Thank you. Uh, and a young Fred Savage, and a very young Fred Savage and <laughs> And a young Fred Savage that drops JC to his grandfather's face. Right. I would have gotten punched so hard. I wouldn't have woken <laughs> up until my kids were. Ki- Anywho. So, you know, but and my wife and I actually enjoy watching it and finding the little things in the room. But the, uh, the magic of that movie and the story and the way that they were able to put it together and direct it. Uh, but even just the stories of, there's a scene right before Wesley reveals to Princess Buttercup that he is Wesley by falling down the hill and yelling, as you wish, that you'll notice he sits down kind of weird. He's in his pirate costume and he sits down, but when he goes to sit down, he sticks his right leg straight out and then kind of dips himself into the rocks where he's sitting. Whole reason he had to sit down like that is he broke his ankle riding around on Andre the Giant's four wheeler. <laughs> Really? Which he wasn't supposed to be riding around on, and I thought I I thought I knew a lot about that movie. Oh my goodness! Uh, and the one of the coolest things about the book is they actually, I think every player that was that's a, that was alive when the book was written actually wrote a blurb for the book. So you get Billy Crystal's perspective of recording Max the Magic Man, Magic Max, sorry. Uh, you 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 get to hear those little stories, which is really cool. But the most endearing part of the book is every single person's love, admiration, and stories about Andre the Giant. I mean, they are they they go from making you want to laugh that you laugh so hard that you cry <laughs> to just being so heartbroken about what he had to live with as a man right. of his size, dealing with what he did. Uh, and him being as sweet and, a, and wonderful as a person as he was, those are the kinds of things that you don't see when you're just watching a movie. And you know, he's right. Quit rhyming. I mean, anybody got a peanut? <laughs> uh, but but yeah. So for, I enjoy those kinds of books as well. I have not read that. I'll have to check that out. I highly recommend it. I'd lend it to you, but I think I actually got it from the library during a <laughs> rather frugal period in life. <laughs> so. <laughs> I've got a Kindle. It's got plenty of free space. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's um, all right. So, so keeping in the, the kind of the happy territory, this is a series I read as a kid and I've reread, um, geez, I've, I've reread. I couldn't tell you it's, it's, it's kind of like, kind of like Lord of the Rings for me. And I didn't know whether to put this in fiction or nonfiction. Okay. I'm going to go with nonfiction. I think you're going to understand why I'm going with nonfiction. And it's also very timely because PBS is actually PBS masterpiece is actually airing the BBC, um, the, the recent BBC show from last year, 
uh, that's based on this. Okay. And it's the James Harriet books. Oh, no way. So I didn't know, you know, and, and for those of you, I, I, I would assume probably most of you are familiar with James Harriet. Then again, I'm old. Um, so James Harriet is not his real name. It was Alf White actually. Uh, and, and, made this a good is choice. A, and it's a, yes. Well, and there's, there's actually a reason for that. And, and so, so Alf was, a, he was a British veterinarian and a small rural farm vet primarily. And, uh, he wrote, uh, the James Harriet series based on his life. Okay. Now it's not, uh, there, there, especially in the time in, in the UK, there was a, this overwhelming doctors and vets shouldn't use their own names when they write books. Uh, weird. There, yeah. There was this whole, like there's, there was this whole kind of, you know, thought thing that they shouldn't do this because it could be seen as advertising and it, it wasn't, wasn't British and it wasn't dignified. So he used a pen name and he used Jenny used James Harriet. That's crazy. After watching a, uh, a soccer player actually okay. <laughs> with the name. Um, and so, he, but he took his, he, you know, he took his boss and his friends and his clients and, um, turned them into the characters in, in the books. And actually he, uh, he said uh, later in, in, in interviews, once it came out who he was that, uh, in a lot of cases he had to tone the characters down No way <laughs> to make them believable in the books. Yeah. He said if, if, if he left like his, 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 you know, best friend and boss, and if he'd left some of the, like the rural farmers in there with their true right. full on personalities, no one would have believed them. <laughs> it was, <laughs> so he actually it was had too grandiose. Right. And, and it's different. I got a city it's in di- New York called Dansville. You all need to see. <laughs> and, and it's different in the U S versus the UK. Like the UK, these were released, um, in smaller chunks with different names. Like, you know, um, something like it shouldn't happen to a vet and things like that. Sure. But they became famous when they were released uh, in their larger formats, and they were combined together. And it was a play on the um, the all things bright and beautiful poem. Oh, nice! So you've got that all creatures. A lot. Yeah, so you've got all creatures great and small. I don't remember the middle if it was all. Th- it, it's all creatures great and small, and I'm not sure if the middle two if it was all things bright and beautiful and, and wise and wonderful or which order those were. And then of the main arc, the fourth one was the Lord God made them all, and it was his his series talking about his career. And then he had James Harriet's dog stories and yep. then James Harriet's cat stories. And then he had a, uh, one of the last ones he did, um, was every living thing, uh, which was him and in, in the kind of the, the twilight of his career sure. more. And those, uh, you know, for me being an animal lover, it just, uh, you know, it, it never, as a kid, it was one of those, it, it never made me want to be a vet. No. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure, uh, you know, and, he, and he, it's funny cause he talks about that with his own kids that both of his kids, I mean, and this is, this is a rural vet we're talking in like, you know, the forties, fifties and sixties in rural England. Right. Right. I mean, in in Yorkshire. So, I mean, yeah, you, rough, if, if rough and tumble work. Yeah. yeah. If you're not getting rung up on the telephone, there's somebody running to your door. Well, yeah. And it's just, I mean, you know, like any, and he describes, you know, like lambing season and in the middle of freezing fields in the middle of the night. And, um, and he actually talks about like talking his daughter out of the profession. (laughs) Right. Well, my Uh, dad dropped me off at Bible college and said, don't be a pastor. So I really, (laughs) you listened to that real well, didn't you? 18 plus. Yeah. So, but in his case is, you know, his daughter became a doctor. His son actually took over the practice. Oh, really? Um, yeah, yeah. Later on. So it's, um, but I mean, those books for me, I mean, I can, you know, I, I still, it's funny now that, you know, and, and for those of you who have PBS and, and, you know, don't mind watching masterpiece it's Sundays central time at eight. Um, the second episode is aired in, in, uh, in, in England in, in the UK last fall. Um, the second episode just aired last night. It's a phenomenal, you know, interpretation of the books and, and just a heck of a lot of fun. But for me watching it, it's like, I see these characters and these were characters I grew up with. Right. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's fiction, but at the same time, it's not right. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just a scaled back version with the names changed type of. Exactly. A, yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's a true story, but the identities have been right. concealed for their own safety. Yeah, the, the, so so the Harriet books for me were that's I cool. Mean, yeah, I, I I love the series, and and it's I know it kind of it, it walks that line in there, but I've always I've always put them a little more into the nonfiction. You, you had mentioned um, you know spiritual books, 
and one that I was just glancing up my notes real quick and just wanted to mention if for no other reason that I'm pretty sure one of our listeners has read this book, <laughs> our good friend, Brian Wilmert, Willie B's barbecue, you know, just in case, uh, but it's a, it's a book called a tale of three Kings and it's a leadership book we had to read, uh, in Bible college. And it, if you read through the old Testament and you see the life of David, you know, David, the giant slayer, that guy, David, um, he kind of goes through three phases in his life. And so it's the book is written as a play, which is actually kind of cool. So it's, it's like you're sitting down and you're just, you know, reading through of mice and men. Um, but it takes David's life and it breaks it up into three segments. Um, and that's why it's a tale of three Kings. So it's him being anointed King, but he's not the King yet. Then, then, and dealing with, some crazy person trying to kill him, Saul. Then you've got where he's the king, but then his own son tries to overthrow him. So then you have the third, you know, portion of him as a king. But its view on leadership, I think, is a view that everybody could stand to read, regardless of your religious beliefs, because it uses the analogy of spear throwing a lot, and. I think right now, if you look at what's going on in society, we have a lot of spear throwers and we don't have enough people that are willing to use their shield to protect themselves and to actually view the situation responsibly and with mental acuity, not just emotional action, um, and to actually assess the situation. And it's not objectivity a, is a lost art. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> you know, it's. <laughs> If this book was written now, it would just basically be called Death by Spear because everybody would be dead. It'd be the end of the world. <laughs> There'd be two guys left standing across the field from each other. And it would both be like pointing spears at both each other. Throwing, and it would be that rocky moment where they both just get hit at the same time. They drop, end of the world. <laughs> but very good book on leadership and dealing with uh, leaders that are either, you know, some leaders are just going to be too headstrong. And you have different personality types. You have type A personalities. Yeah. So how you deal with different situations in leadership based on personality type and remembering that what's happening and especially in church ministry, because, you know, like you were saying, it's, uh, it's more than just a job. Well, yeah, I mean, but for you, you've got kind of the religious and spiritual side and, you know, I've got the, uh, being more on the scientific side of things. Um, you know, there's a few books there, of course, you know, Brief History of Time, Stephen Hawking, and, and, and all those, which are, are classics for me. Um, and I, I'm a total astrophysics geek. I mean, you know that. Oh, yeah. I think, uh, you know, anybody who knows me more than just in passing realizes that. Um, you know, Kip Thorne's, um, for those of you who don't know who Kip Thorne is, um, to the, the masses, probably best known as the science, as the science advisor for Interstellar. Oh, yeah. So if you've seen Interstellar, um, but his book, Black Holes and Time Warps, uh, you know, absolutely phenomenal read. Um, I, I would say, you know, layman, you know, it, it's a layman book, but you know, it's, if you don't have an interest in the math, you are going to get bored Sure. <laughs> and, and the kind of the underlying structures of these things. Um, but it's, yeah, so I do tend to do a lot of those. Uh, I, I've been avoiding the business books, uh, well, not avoiding reading them because I do read them. I've been avoiding talking about them here because so many of them, I mean, I've done the, uh, I've done the faddish leadership right. books I've you know, I've done the, um, like the one minute manager and yeah. all that one, you know what? There is one and it's been years since I've read it. Actually, there's two that have had a huge impact on my professional life. Uh, one of them is the classic book who moved, who moved my cheese. Okay. <laughs> and it uses the whole, like moving a mouse's cheese around and basically it's, it, it's a book about change sure, and, and teaching and teaching you to accept and deal with change. Um, as I hear a Husky howling in the background here, cause somebody probably forgot to give her her cheese. Uh, I, <laughs> but, oh yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's actually lunchtime. It's, so my better half, my better half is currently feeding them. So cheese yeah, time right probably, now, guys. No, she actually, she's probably whining because she finished her kibble and wants to go outside uh, because she doesn't understand why you have to have walls and a roof. And the newly uh, fenced in yard. So yes, we don't have to worry about. Is, oh yeah. Yeah. Which is yeah phenomenal. I'm, I'm loving that. I might get a life back. So who moved my cheese was one, but 
actually, I had a great boss uh, right out of college. I went to work at at my university at UW Lacrosse, and um, the the same job I'd been doing as a, a student, I was now doing you know for a living. Right. Um, and and that was you know, that was the kind of the the beginning of my production career. Uh, but my my boss there one of the best bosses I've ever, Michael Slevin, one of the best bosses I've ever had to this day. And the cool thing is I got to tell him that and thank him for it at a friend's wedding. Um, nice. I was going to say not last year, the uh, COVID just screws with the time perception. It's all it? gone. It the year, yeah. It was the, it was, it was 2019. I think I was oh actually gosh. in the civil war. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's like, Oh, like last year. No, it wasn't last year. No. Last year we were, well, no, last year was COVID. It was the year before that. But I actually got to got, got to tell him this, but there's a book actually uh, that he dropped on my desk and he, and he made me read. And it was uh, QBQ. It was, it's called The Question Behind the Question. And it's one I recommend to anybody who's in any sort of, of management leadership role. Uh, and and the, the gist of the book is whenever something goes wrong, whenever you have a challenge, um, you know, whenever there's a mistake, everybody wants to point fingers everywhere. Right. Uh, it's an, I'm, I certainly, it's a natural reaction. I, I'm certainly as guilty as the next person, but QBQ actually talks about the need, especially within business that instead of pointing fingers, you as a leader need to figure out what is the, the most immediate thing I can do at this exact moment to fix the problem, yep. to fix the most pressing problem in front of me. And then you do it and you fix that problem. Yep. And then you sit down and you go, okay, that problem is fixed. What is my next most pressing problem? Yep. What is the best thing I can do at this moment to fix that problem? And, you know, pro, you know, pro tip, the first answer is never point a finger at somebody else. Right. If you do have a failure in, in personnel, if you do have a human, a human weakness in the chain, it'll, it'll eventually get to that. Right. You will eventually dig through that, you know, down the yeah, process. You, you don't start there. That's. Well, yeah. And for me, especially working in production, right? So, you know, when you're sitting there, you're three minutes to airtime when you're doing a live television broadcast and all of a sudden you realize that, you know, somebody on the lighting crew kicked loose your, you know, your, your primary, you know, under, you know, piano mic sure. and you're about to go live with a Christmas show, you know, it's, yeah. Okay. I can scream at, I can, I can go, who did this right. and scream and go look for the person, or I can figure out who the heck's on that stage that can quickly get me my feedback so we can do the show. Exactly. <laughs> and, and it, I mean, it, it, that is literally that that's a, that's a, that's a real life example. I felt that was very personal. <laughs> yes. That was a very personal moment for me. Um, I will someday die a few minutes early because of that, <laughs> that situation. Those that last dark, words, damn, we're not going to get to hear them just because of that stupid oh, piano mic. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. I've, dude, I've had so many of those. We, we need to do an episode at some point about road stories. Oh my word. Absolutely. I'm writing that down. That's going on. The yes. List. We, we got to do an episode about road stories and I, I got to figure out what names I have to change to protect the guilty. <laughs> so, <laughs> there's no innocent on the road. Yeah, so I'll have to figure that one out. That's but yeah, if, if for for that for that line of work especially, it was phenomenal. But that's yeah. So QBQ, what a you know, and it's it's still available. It's what a great book, it really was. That had a that had a massive impact on me as a in the the times of my life where I've been in a leadership and management role. But you know, these days I'm just a senior engineer and a PM. There you go. So yeah, I can you know just be myself and be abrasive all day. <laughs> it's great. For on that as note, a reference, go to. Go to Mark's. Uh, Go to every podcast every, we've done ever. <laughs> Go check out his Twitter. <laughs> I, I, I'm a non But that's why we love you. Yes. So as always, you know, we want to thank you guys for listening. And, you know, we're coming back next week. You know, we had our one vacation for the year. So <laughs> we're, that's about we're, right. We are talking about some cool possible changes for the upcoming year. I don't want to say them. There's a couple of you I may have talked about it yes. too in private, but. Uh, you know, we want you to come back, keep an ear out for those types of things. And as always, please follow us on Twitter and on Instagram. Leave us comments, leave us questions, leave us love and share us with those that you love and those that you hate. We're not partial. So on that note, you guys have a great one and we'll talk to you next week.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.